The value of investments can fall as well as rise, and losses may be made. This is not a buy, sell, or hold recommendation for any particular security. Welcome to 91's 2024 Investment Views. In this series of conversations, our investment professionals and portfolio managers will explore their views for the year ahead and assess the outlook for their asset classes and regions. Good day, everyone. I'm Vivian Tabra, and I'm joined by Peter Kent, who is our co-head of fixed income. And we are going to discuss the outlook here for emerging market sovereign debt for 2024. Hi there, Pete. Before we go into what we think is going to happen next year, I think let's have a, a little look at what's happened this year. As we came into the start of this year, things looked pretty promising for the asset class. and We had a very strong start. Um, can you tell me sort of what unfolded and why? Hey, Viv. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, I think it's probably good to start in 2022 even. I mean, if you recall, 2022 as a bond investor was pretty traumatic. You know, we had inflation flaring up and central banks waking up across the globe. So 2022 was the, the backdrop and a, and a pretty hostile one. So we came into 2023 thinking that bonds had reached a point of valuation and cheapness where you know, they were attractive. Emerging markets were front and center of that thesis too. We were also of the belief that inflation would start to improve from the supply side, so from the good side, not necessarily from growth coming down. So we were quite optimistic on all asset classes in emerging market fixed income coming into the year. And that did transpire. You know, we had a fantastic opening Half of the year in 2023, local currency duration was the star performer, but FX put in a, a decent shift too, and hard currency put in a decent shift too. The middle of the year was, I wouldn't say a watershed, but it did mark a slight change in, 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 in composition um, of returns. And we've seen some of that strong start given back, but we still have had positive returns through the year. And the reason being is... I would say the main factor has been U.S. growth has continued to be resilient and surprised to the upside. But not only has U.S. growth been resilient, but the mix of growth for emerging markets in the second half of the year has not been as good as the beginning where, you know, things like Europe and China have underperformed and the U.S. has outperformed. And, um, and, and regionally in emerging markets, it's also been a bit of a differentiated story, hasn't it? Yeah, I think that's a great point. You know, I think one of the core themes we've been discussing with clients for some time is the concept of early hikers versus late hikers. Um, when 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 inflation turned up in emerging markets, generally uh, emerging market central banks hiked as a generalization. When it turned up in developed markets, they called it transitory. Um, and as a result of that, you saw developed market central bank policy catching up for much of the last year, year and a half. A similar themes happen in emerging markets with 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 the early hikers. You know, so if we talk about Latin America, for example, that's an area where we had early hikers. We saw progress on inflation, and as a result of that, uh, local currency bonds in that particular region traded particularly well too. I would put Central and Eastern European not necess necessarily as early hikers, but a region that was particularly exposed to the inflation genie because what was happening with energy. So they also hiked quite precipitously, and as a result of that, that region presented quite good local currency duration opportunities. In Asia, on the other hand, inflation didn't turn up 
as much or the reaction was a little bit more delayed. So that area was perhaps a little bit more akin to developed markets where central banks didn't hike nearly as much. So the local currency duration opportunities, they weren't necessarily as fruitful as other areas. And I mean, against this backdrop, we've also had, like you said, the very strong US growth environment or much stronger than expected US growth environment. And that's led to a massive dislocation in US 10 years and US 30 years. And what is your view on on what's going to happen and how that's going to drive emerging market performance as we go into the next year? Uh, Viv, you're you're harking back to my my, my pre-EM days here on US treasuries. I love it. Um, You know, we spotted at the middle of the year uh, that inflation, well, I mean, as you mentioned, inflation coming down has been a theme throughout the year. But one thing we did spot was it was going to be unusual for the US. As inflation came down, you would normally just close your eyes and buy bonds. That is just normally the most obvious signal to buy bonds. But what happened in the US was slightly different this time, was inflation coming down essentially allowed the Fed to step back and allow the soft landing narrative to play its course. And this, the Fed stepping back essentially reduced the probability of a policy-induced recession and essentially reduced the optionality of holding a longer-dated bond in the U.S. Those longer-dated bonds in the U.S. Were, were, were quite dearly valued because they essentially had a recession option in them. And as inflation started to come down, as the Fed could step back, the probability of that policy-induced recession reduced and treasuries would start to underperform. So that's a phenomenon we spotted and debated at length and its impact on emerging markets. We debated at length in the middle of the year. But now that we've reached a level of around about 5% in 10-year treasuries, which is flat to Fed funds, you could argue that they are no longer expensive. So, you know, US treasuries, 10 years and 30 years, there's a whole bunch of factors that are influencing them, you know, whether it's the Bank of Japan, whether it's the increase in supply because of the fiscal deficit. I think the underlying causality here is U.S. growth has been resilient. The probability of recession has come down and longer dated bonds have reflected that. And the backdrop, what does that mean for EM? I mean, can we see EM perform in this environment? Yeah, I think, you know, when I think about 2024 and I think about this year with growth surprising to the upside in the U.S. and the mix potentially being a bit more Um, adverse for emerging markets. I think for me, when I look to 2024, I think it's definitely a year where you want to be a bond. And and what do I mean by that? I think inflation is going to come down. It's either going to come down because it continues to come down for good reasons from the supply side, or central banks globally are going to put a hammer to it and get inflation down. We don't quite know which scenario that is. You know, we're probably in the camp that inflation comes down naturally through subtrend growth. So with that phenomenon and with where treasuries are and where values are generally along the fixed income piece, I definitely think it's a year where you want to be a bond. But what kind of bond you want to be, to be honest, is a function of what do you think the risk scenarios are around that inflation outcomes. So emerging markets, I think you've mentioned are ahead in this cycle. So are they better positioned to deal with this? What are their fundamentals like? What is the backdrop here? Do we do we think that um, sovereign debt can perform well? Yeah, so, so so it kind of loops back to the question of of what kind of bond do you want to be? So, you know, I definitely want to be a bond going in 2024. I think inflation's coming down and 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 bonds look cheap, emerging markets look exceptionally cheap too. So I definitely want to be a bond. What kind of bond do I want to be? 
So I think you know we we've got a we've got a bit of a saying on the desk. Do you want to be a bond that trades like a bond? So traditionally, you know, like a higher quality bond that rallies in recession, sells off in good times, or do I want to be a bond that trades like a stock? You know, those are generally the higher yielding, more cyclical type of bonds. Emerging markets have a lot of bonds that trade like bonds, and they have a lot of bonds that trade like stocks. So do I want to be a bond that trades? defensively like a bond, well, then I would have to think the probability of recession is high going into next year. Or do I want to be a bond that trades like a stock? In which scenario I would say the probability of recession is low, growth improved. So as we go into 2024, the growth picture does seem to be improving. You know, China has woken up to the property market problems there and the lack of uh, or, or, or how tight policy is. So I think China, China growth is improving. The manufacturing cycle has been quite a laggard globally for much of the year, which has dragged a lot of European growth and hurt the mix of growth. So I think all of those factors are improving. So as you go into 2024, growth looks softer, but the mix looks better. So I think immediately you go, yes, this is this is not a bad backdrop for emerging markets. So I don't mind bonds that sort of trade like stocks. I don't mind sort of slightly higher yielding, more cyclical bonds. But I think the risk outlooks next year is one where we into recession because central banks have tightened too much. There's geopolitical risk, obviously. And then there's obviously the risk that inflation doesn't land well and central banks have to get at it again. So if I think about those, we would have to then adjust the portfolio um, depending on those kind of risk scenarios. So I think big picture, you want to be a bond. You want to be overweight emerging markets because the growth picture is improving. But you probably want to be overweight high yielding shorter dated bonds because if a recession comes along you don't want to be necessarily long longer dated bonds and you probably want to be overweight more defensive longer dated bonds that's the way that we would sort of uh, adjust the portfolio so overall like the asset class but the way you essentially populate the portfolio from a bottom up is a way that essentially makes you a little bit more resilient to those risk factors and then just outside of the bonds itself over the last year, we've seen that local currency bonds have performed relatively well, and that's been this more mixed environment for the for the dollar. So emerging market currencies have done relatively well. What's the outlook for them as we move into 2024? Yeah, so when I think about EMFX, I don't think it's as much a top-down thing. You know, part of the reason EMFX has hung in really well over the last couple of years, and I think one of the biggest reflections we've had over the last two years is how well EM has actually traded despite what the US economy and the global economy has thrown at it. You know, EM has been defensive when things have been selling off and offensive when things have been rallying. So EM has generally done pretty well. And part of the reason of that is the EM central banks hiked when inflation turned up and EM economies have spent the last decade getting their ducks in a row. You know, the taper tantrum was tough for emerging markets and we've spent the last decade doing good things with our economies. So EM's attributes over the last year, year and a half are, you know, not lucky. They're, 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 they're deliberate. So if you if you think about that reflection and think about it going forward, EMFX will generally behave well because central banks have been disciplined and EM is in a better space. So I would imagine that behavior that we've observed over the last year, year and a half against the dollar will likely persist. So in other words, it'll it'll Outperform in a sell-off and 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 uh, and, and outperform in a rally too. I think that will persist, but I think EMFX is more a bottom-up phenomenon next year uh, than a top-down one. Uh, you know, because we're entering into a world where some central banks will be cutting, some will be hiking, uh, 
some economies will be a little bit more resilient than others. So I, I would imagine next year, when you're thinking about EMFX, you're thinking it's going to be ripe for bottom-up opportunity, but it's not obvious to me where the, whether there's a top-down opportunity as it currently stands. So very much a bottom-up driven market, similar to what we've seen this year. So maybe I think we're running out of time here. So as a last question to put you on the spot, against that, what do you think is going to be one of the key markets to watch in 2024 on the local side? and on the hard currency sovereign side? Um, that's a great question. Um, I think I think Brazil, uh, you know, it's been a leader in hiking cycles. It's run very high uh, real policy rates. It's been a great source of alpha for us this year. I think that theme continues into next year. You know, ultimately, if Brazil can't cut rates um, and move forward, given how aggressively they hiked, then I think that would be a pretty poor litmus test for you know my economic thesis, uh, my investment thesis going in into next year. I think um, for us on the hard currency side, I wouldn't necessarily think about it regionally. I think the way to think about it is sort of ratings buckets. Um, you know, if you're in a world where you want to be a bond, but there's a risk of recession or there's a risk of accelerated inflation, you probably want to be in bonds that are very well valued. So there's names sort of in distress that have fantastic valuation on their side and going to be immune to any of those types of things because they have purely bottom up. And you probably want to be involved in higher quality bonds that aren't very, very richly valued. So the top end of quality are quite richly valued, but the sort of bottom end of quality are, um, are, are still quite cheap. So I would think of it more in terms of rating buckets and high and low quality. I think that's the way to sort of barbell a portfolio into next year. Okay. And just one final comment I'd like from you. How important is sustainability in EM? I mean, it's critical. It's absolutely critical. Um, you know, we live and breathe sustainability in EM. It's 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 for many years been a nebulous concept to the developed markets, but you know, you just have to walk around the average emerging market, you know, South Africa case in point, you know, where we live. live. Sustainability is a is a daily um struggle for, for many people, whether it's energy, whether it's financial, whether it's climate through drought, floods, etc. You know, so it's something that emerging markets live. Um and as a result of that, if we don't take it sort of seriously and we don't try and sort of improve outcomes on that basis, you know, we can see what that means on a day-to-day -day basis and then we can quite easily see what that does to asset class returns and asset prices on a long-term basis. So I think it's essential. Emerging markets have a real role to play in, 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 in advocating for sustainability and moving forward. Thanks very much, Pete. Thanks, Bib. Thanks for having me. This podcast is a marketing communication and is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is not an invitation to make an investment and should not be construed as advice. The views of this podcast are those of contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of 91. In South Africa, 91 is an authorized financial services provider.